as you get older, there are fewer places to find joy. <laughs> You're like really hesitating. Like, should I say? Should I say there's no joy. I find joy in fairy books, Google Docs, <laughs> fairy and <books>. fairy books, <laughs> and Kindle Night Mode. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of two with my Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, which covers ages six through 12. I am here with Megan, mother of two with her Montessori training in primary ages three to six and lower elementary ages six to nine. And Rachel, mother of two with her Montessori training in infant toddler, which covers birth through three years old. So let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week. Rachel, we'll start with you. Well, I have some news to share. We're expecting baby number three. I was wondering if anyone caught on last episode. We waited for you to get a sour candy and I was like, (laughs) oh no, we like didn't edit that part out. And I was like, I wonder if anyone noticed because Rachel loves her sour candy when she (laughs) is pregnant. She has to have it. Poor Rachel gets so sick. She gets the worst nausea. She was just like gagging and it was her turn to share something. She was like, guys, uh, I can't. I got to get my gummies. And we cut that. But then she comes back and Megan's like, all right, Rachel's got her sour gummies. Let's go. And if anybody knows (laughs) pregnant Rachel, then they were like, wait, what? (laughs) So yay, we get to share it now. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I mean, I'm 13 weeks now. Oh, wow. Like what? I I don't even know how I got here. So fast. <laughs> like how am I already thirteen weeks pregnant? Like yeah, it's crazy with two kids. That's obviously you probably noticed I haven't been sharing as much on social media too because literally I'm like laying on the floor mm-hmm. beside of my child giving lessons and helping my one year old survive and it's been a hard go. I'm just praying that in the next few weeks I start to feel better because puking three to four times a day with two kids at home is like pretty crappy. Is it different <laughs> being sick? I mean obviously you have a lot of children now but like before you were sick in a classroom oh my gosh with like a bunch of toddlers and now you just have two toddlers which is a lot when you're their mother because it never stops but like is it different I mean it's better being here because I can just lay on the floor and like (laughs) you can do that at work (laughs) yeah that's true like again it's like a blessing that I didn't everything happen the way it did I'm not back because I could not there's no way I could have gone back with two kids and been teaching like I would be like I'm already exhausted I would be like dead <laughs> how many bags of candy do you go through 
in like a day. <laughs> in a day. Well, no, it, it's really like hit or miss. Like sometimes I can't eat it. Sometimes it makes me sick too. But like sometimes it can stop the dry heaving. I don't know. It's so funky. And I feel like this nausea is not like, I don't know, comparing like my other two pregnancies. I'm getting nauseous right now. So somebody else is going to have to go. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least man. you get to, at least you get to say it now. You don't have to keep it a secret. You can just be like, I need to go puke my guts yeah. out now. Sorry guys. <laughs> but we're Time good. Out. We really are good and we're so excited, but it's just, you know, it's a lot. So God bless you for having another baby so that I can come squeeze and snuggle your baby. And I don't have to have another baby of my own. Yeah. There you go. Thank you for that. You're a real <laughs> team player. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your cervix. (laughs) So I have started graduate school. So just getting right back into life, learning things and stuff. But that's not what has been really controlling my life lately. What has been controlling my life lately is that I bought a Kindle a few months ago, okay? And my little life hack lately is that my daughter needs me to sit with her while she falls asleep every night. And so I have this Kindle and I just put it on dark mode and I sit in her room and I read. And she's three and takes her sweet time going to sleep. So sometimes I'm in there for like an hour and a half. So since the end of June, I have gotten through 10 books. Wow. (laughs) Just sitting there waiting for her to fall asleep. And anyone who knows, knows. I am obsessed right now with these books about dragons and fairies. I was like reading the summary. Someone was saying that I needed to read it and I was reading the summary. I was like, no, this sounds so stupid. Like I'm not reading this. This sounds ridiculous. Now I can't stop. I'm like seven books in. And if you know, you know, if you know, message me because I really want to talk about it. Are we like, are we going to go to like a Comic-Con soon or what's happening here? (laughs) Yeah, I mean anything. So it's just, it's kind of an obsession right now. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you just don't. And I'm sorry, I feel sad for you. (laughs) I like how you immediately just put yourself on the defensive so that nobody could come at you like, oh, nerd alert. You're like, you're not cool enough. You don't understand me. Shut your mouth right now. I love it. You're so proactive. Well, the other day too, I was reading for my classes and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to take a break. I'm so sick of reading. I need to go read my fairy book. And I did. And it was a nice little break. I just need to read my fairy book. <laughs> I love that for you. I say Thank more you. power to you. It's I'm mostly a, I'm just amazed that you've read ten books it's as been a parent. A who's like continuing your education constantly. You read ten books for fun. Like for funsies. Whoa. I know. Well, and that's yeah. the thing is I hadn't really had time. I love to read and I it hasn't really been something I've been able to do. And the hack is the Kindle in the dark waiting for my three year old to fall asleep. Love it. Yeah, great tip, mom. Okay, well, I will round it out then. And God, I will try to do like a a short version. Yeah, it's been a big week for you. Yeah, Yeah. the last week, starting exactly a week ago, not a week ago, yesterday, actually, has been insane. It's been the scariest week of my life. It was we hit a bunch of parenting milestones I was not looking forward to, although I know a lot of people experience these things. I had not. So last weekend, my daughter started to come down with a cold. It was actually kind of strange. She came home on Friday from school and she was like super happy, but turned to my husband very confidently and informed him, I'm going to be sick. And we were both like, okay, like she didn't (laughs) seem sick yet. She wasn't 
acting sick. She had had a stomach bug the week before that. And I'm like, you know, she's at an age now where she's realizing like, oh, sick equals stay home from school, like watch a movie on the couch, chill with mom and dad, right? So like six, kind of cool. So I thought maybe that's where she was going with it. But then the next day, she did actually start to have some sniffles and a runny nose and stuff. And then Sunday came and she was even a little more under the weather. And she went to bed on Sunday and it was just a very restless night. She just kept waking up every like hour or so and she was crying and she started coughing and then around like three somewhere between three and five a.m that cough became that like classic barking cough that the pediatricians tell you to look out for because that's croup right so like croup is caused by any number of respiratory viruses and she sure enough she sounded like she had it so we brought her in first thing monday to see her pediatrician they gave her a little steroid treatment that should have been magic right she should have pretty quickly recovered from there for the rest of the day monday she was still pretty down not doing like super great still had that cough her breathing was like audible it was just like huh like it's just not getting better going into tuesday we call back the pediatrician and we're like, okay, she's not getting better. She actually now like has audible breathing even when she's at rest, not even when she's exerting herself, which I have since then learned is called strider. If you've been through this, you know that word already. But she had pretty serious strider and that barking cough was just so persistent. So we go back and the pediatrician's like, you know, she should be doing better. Like croup's like a max of a three-day thing. And after being treated, she should be on the mend. So I think your best play would be to go to the children's emergency department that's local to us. And they have a, a different kind of treatment that they can do. I'm texting the whole time with Megan and Rachel. Rachel's been through this with her son. She's had to go get that exact kind of treatment, but it was like a magic bullet, right? So we drive over and I'm like, all right, here we go. Big parenting milestone, first trip to the ER. At least though, like, you know, we drove ourselves there. She's talking. She's giving us thumbs up. I mean, she didn't really talk. Her voice was kind of gone. Her, you know, the whole trachea is all inflamed and like messed up when you've got croup, but she's giving us thumbs up and she's just in like overall good spirits. We get there and it was an extremely long, we got there in like early in the afternoon. We were there into super late into the night. They were just trying to figure out like what is causing it to be this persistent. They were kind of holding off too on giving that treatment because she had already gotten this other treatment at the other office. And so this is kind of this whole big logistical mess. And then we have the baby with us. So I bring him home and put him to bed and have someone come over and sit with the monitor so I can go back to the ER. They give her the treatment finally, this like racemic epi, I think it's called. It's like this breathing treatment that again is supposed to be magical and she's better for like a max of an hour and then she takes another dramatic turn and they're like all right we're admitting her like we don't know what's going on but we need to keep treating her it's like an every six hour treatment like you could go home if you want to and we were like no like we can't do anything for her at home of course we're gonna stay here so she stays the night my husband has to stay with her i have to go home so there's another big lesson in having more than one child you have to divide and conquer i'm super grateful that my husband was able to like be you know people have husbands that are gone for work or work long times or just partners in general that can't you know, do stuff like that. And you have to be in two places at once. It's it's awful. It's an awful feeling. So she made it through the night. Okay. She was discharged the next day and then took another really crazy turn on Thursday. We were going in just for like a checkup. And on the way there, she starts pointing to her throat and telling me that it hurts. As we're there, she starts telling us that she can't breathe. Her throat is like caving in when she's trying to breathe. She Long story short, she goes hypoxic and she's not breathing. And it was terrifying. Thank God we're sitting in a doctor's office, right? They can wheel in an oxygen tank. We don't have that at home. They've called EMS. 
you know, like she's got to go back to the ER. It was just one of the scariest moments of our lives. We thank God we're able to stay super calm in that moment because again, just logistically speaking, like we've got a crying baby in the corner of the room who's ready for, he already missed a nap because we're at the pediatrician's office now. He needs to go home. He needs to go to bed. He's exclusively nursing. He will not take a bottle. I can't have anybody else take him. My daughter in the meantime is not breathing, half passed out on a nurse's chest. You know, like it was just, it was a nightmare scenario. And I'm very grateful that she's okay. We're okay. You know, we got through it. I loaded the baby in the car right away and started to take him home. Watching an ambulance pass you in rush hour traffic and knowing that they're going for your kid and you're not with her is one of the worst feelings. And then, you know, I was able to get him home, put him to bed, leave the monitor with my mother-in-law for several hours and go back to the ER to make sure that she was finally on the mend. So they did a couple different things between the ambulance and the ER, but she did end up responding well to the treatments and luckily has been home since Friday and is officially on an upward trajectory now, has gone back to school for half days for the last couple of days because, you know, her energy is back and it's hard to tell a three-year-old like, no, sorry, you need to keep laying low because I'm nervous, you know? So we're like, all right, we'll just test it a couple hours at a time. So yeah, that was just a really, really awful week with two hospitalizations, an ambulance ride, just all this stuff that I'd hoped to never see. And I feel like that lends itself really well to mentioning that we are in September and it is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And it's something that's really near and dear to our hearts. You know, we have worked with Project Javier and our really good friends in this area who it wasn't just a week of their lives. It was months and months and months. And it it could even, you know, there are so many families out there where they're still in it. They're living it. They don't get to bring their baby home from the hospital. You know, so I just want to make sure that we make a point to say that if you are in a position where you can do anything at all to help those sick babies and their families dealing with just a waking nightmare scenario every day, please do. Please, please, please do. And that's it. That's my soapbox rant. We had a hellacious week that at the end of it, I get to be extremely grateful to say is over and that this is a good month to point out that for many people, it's not over. And please step up if you can. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that. You just kept texting us and uh, yeah, it just sucked. So I'm glad you're on the other side. So Okay, should we hop into it? Yeah, let's talk about the three-year cycle. Today we are going to talk about the three-year cycle and mixed age groupings. This is something very unique to the Montessori method if you go to a traditional preschool or elementary school like we all did, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is not likely that you will see the opportunity to stay in the same classroom for several years or that you'll be able to be mixed with children of different ages. Usually you're with the same, your same group, you're all second graders, you're all third graders, you're all fourth graders. But in previous episodes, we discussed the planes of development and how they are split up. The three-year cycle correlates with those planes of development. So Montessori believed children go through different planes of development, and these planes are broken up into three-year groupings. There are sub-planes as well, so there it depends on the school that you go to, what how they mix them up. For example, you might have just an elementary classroom where it's ages 6 to 12, or they go with the subgroups, lower and upper elementary. So that six-year plane of development is chopped into two subplanes. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the plane overall is a six-year span. So like birth through six years is the first plane of development. Mm -hmm. 
But she identified that zero through three, the first half of that plane is marked with a whole bunch of its own really unique characteristics. And then three through six is a separate chunk of characteristics kind of continuing from that first one. Right. Yeah. And then six through 12, same thing. Six through nine has one set of needs and things that they're really working through. And nine through 12 has its own kind of set. So yeah, there's these sub planes that are three year chunks within this overall six year plane Mm -hmm. of development. And some schools will just have six years, which is really cool too. The school we worked for, didn't they used to have just one like way back in the day? I think a long time ago, they had just one elementary classroom period. I know my co-teacher at the time, the school that she went to as a child had that. I think our school only did that for a minute because like, they were growing and intended on splitting. But there are other schools, like you said, that just have an elementary room, period. Mm-hmm. And you have everybody in first through sixth grade all together. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to our episode on planes of development, just like a quick little review is that there are four planes of development. The first is zero through six years old. The second is six through 12 years old. The third is 12 through 18 years old. And then the fourth is 18 to 24 years old. So during the three years of the classroom, you can imagine there is major growth and development that is happening physically, cognitively, social, emotional, all of that is happening at a rapid rate. So each year builds on the other, which creates this beautiful transition between each year and really allows you as a parent to see their growth. And as a teacher, it's really cool to see how each year kind of just flows into the next. So instead of starting a brand new school year with a brand new teacher, you're with the same children for three years and you kind of just get to pick up where you left off, which is really, really beautiful to see that all the way through. And before we kind of... (laughs) We have like a working document. (laughs) Who put that in there? Who did that? I guess it's Megan. (laughs) Because I wrote it and I definitely didn't write Rachel Smell. So sometimes <laughs> So sometimes when we're working on the same document, I like to write little sneaky messages to them. Like everyone's so focused right before we start an episode of like writing in their little notes and what do I want to say? So yeah, I like to ruin And then Megan it. gets in there and is like, I'm watching you. And you're like, what the hell? Just Where did completely this creeps you out. In this case, she wrote in capitals, Rachel smells in the middle of the speech that she is currently giving you right now, which is what completely derailed her. And well, she you was know what? Assigning, you got what you deserved. She was assigning like who was going to talk where. And so she wrote Rachel and she didn't see because she moved on to the next thing. But like right after she wrote Rachel, I wrote smells. And so it wasn't as funny because it was supposed to be in the moment. <laughs> so instead, you, you played yourself. Yeah. So... Just like a personal love of the three-year mixed age group as like from a teacher perspective and as a parent, you the relationships are just so much deeper and richer. For my own children, now I get to have that experience with their teachers. But also when I had my own students, it was really beautiful to be able to watch them grow. And also you're not so worried about each individual year. Like, oh, we have to have this by may or else they won't be able to start the next years like you know where they left off and they grow and develop in at different rates at different years there could be a child who's really slow to start and then their third year just like takes off and so i just think that it's a really appealing way to set up the classroom without all of the development and science behind it it's just kind of a really 
cool experience. Definitely as a toddler, a previous toddler teacher, I mean, I would have a 15-month-old come in just walking and then like all of a sudden it's their third year in my classroom and they're walking, they're talking, they're leading. I mean, it's crazy like the development. And of course, a lot of that does happen to be physical in like in the beginning, just because the age, but it's so cool to see as a teacher and to get to talk to the parent and be like, Hey, this like, look at where we've look at where we were and where we've come and how far we've grown together. Yeah, I agree that it's definitely much more respectful in terms of allowing that each child's internal timeline to unfold at its own pace because like you said if you have them for one year and you've got all these benchmarks per the state that they're supposed to be here by the end of this year there is definitely a panic in you as the teacher in the parent who's getting the feedback like oh they they need to be here they need to be here but not every kid really does develop at the same pace so it's really nice to be like we've got three years together you're gonna get it at some point you know you have plenty of time to circle back and check retention and all of that stuff instead of just having to like smash everybody to the finish line before you're giving them to a new adult who has to start over again. So yeah, there is a lot of respect built into that again. And as the teacher or guide, you know, we when we say our little age groups at the beginning of each episode, it's because our scope and sequence or our kind of curriculum that is probably a more familiar word that it covers those full three years. So we're looking at this much bigger scope than just from August to May. And so it gives us a lot of wiggle room, which is really nice and just like a really broad idea of where they're starting and where they're going. Yeah. It's also really cool because you're able to sit with that child, whether it's at the beginning of their time with you or at the end and say either, you know, look at where you're going because you can look at the older kids in your class and see what kind of stuff they're working on and be able to say, you know, how exciting it is that this is this is in store for you and it's right here in front of you and it will be yours shortly. Or at the end of that time, to be able to look back and say, look how far you've come. I mean, it's just such a gift to have them for those three years and to really get to watch that child grow in every sense of the word from having come in, you know, up to your hip as a tiny little, barely no longer kindergartner to now looking at a nine-year-old who's like as tall as me. And it's just such a cool thing. Okay, so if we break down what each year looks like in that three-year cycle, what you can kind of expect from the student in the classroom based on what year they're in. And of course, every kid is individualized, but just sort of like the great 80% kind of end up falling into this chunk of experience. So your first year in the room of your three-year cycle, you might hear that called the absorbent mind year or the explorer year. And that is kind of where they've just gotten into this new room with this new group of people. They're learning what's going on in the classroom, literally like physically, where is everything? They're getting oriented to all of that. They're learning the ropes, right? They're observing the older children who are part of the classroom and already kind of know what they're doing. They're learning the norms, the rules. What do you do if you need a teacher? How do you set up your snack in this room? You know, like what what does the cleaning process look like? Where do the works belong? How do I put them away? What is the expectation? What, how long, you know, building up your stamina for the works and the work cycle. So there's so many new things things to learn when you're entering a new classroom. And that first year, there's a lot of grace and courtesy and just kind of letting them absorb and explore. Now, the second year, I kind of always called this the sweet spot in the three-year cycle, because at this point, they are not new anymore. 
they kind of have got a, a hold on what's going on in the room and who's in the room with them and what the rules and regulations are. So this is kind of the reasoning mind year or more of the experimenting year. So they're becoming more independent. They're more confident in their abilities. They might not need as much support from the adult anymore. The scaffolding looks a little bit different. The workload is maybe increasing a little bit. Their responsibilities have increased a little bit. They are catching on to all the norms of the classroom and they get to continue to practice the same skills that they were learning last year in their first year. But now they're really able to build on them and just explore with them more. They're probably participating in group lessons a little more vocally. They're maybe being given more rigorous academic things than they would have gotten in their first year. And it's just kind of this sweet spot where you're not the new kid in the pond anymore, but you're also not yet having to step up and be that big third year leader. And that brings us to the third year, the capstone year, the expert year, or the creative mind year, or a lot of people know it as the leadership year. So it has a lot of different nicknames, but it is the last year and you're three years of that room that you're in. And these kids now, they've been in the classroom for two years, right? And this is, of course, is assuming that you're in the same room for your whole three-year cycle. People move, people move schools, they move towns, you know, like there, there are, of course, are exceptions. But in an ideal world, you've gotten three years in this type of environment. And so now you are confident in knowing the classroom, knowing the routines, knowing the expectations. You have seen most of the lessons in there. You know what all the younger kids are working on. You're actually able to help them with it because you've most likely have mastered most of it, which again is why you're kind of a leader in the room is now a first year can come to you and say, hey, I can't find XYZ work and you know where that is. Or I forgot how to do this thing and you have done it for three years now so you can sit down and kind of help them with it. And they're just getting to use all the knowledge that they've accumulated to support those younger students and to really jump off of the, the sort of groundwork that they were laying in the other two years to get into more challenging concepts and to really take that next leap in their learning. So that third year really helps solidify the child's skills and builds much more confidence as they are now the oldest in the classroom. And I also have referred to this concept a lot to, to parents to understand it's sort of like being in a family, right? So you've got your oldest, your middle and your baby in the family. And what's so cool about going to being in a Montessori environment is that you get to experience all those roles at least once, which you don't get to do in your actual family. Like if you're the firstborn, you're staying the oldest, period. You don't ever at any point get to go back and be the baby of the group, right? And so on and so forth. If you're the baby, you're always the baby and you're always trying to catch up to the oldest. But in these settings, I could be the oldest in my family, but when I come in as the first year at this new classroom, whatever it is, I'm the youngest now and I get to look up to these older kids, which I don't necessarily have at home. And the the middle child, like I said, is that sweet spot of you're not, you don't have to be the oldest. Mom isn't counting on you to do everything, but I'm not the baby either. So like I can do more stuff for myself. And then you've got the baby of the family who's coming in and kind of being like, what is going on here? Somebody help me figure this out. And it's just a really cool way to grow into yourself and to have your own internal timeline respected, like I said earlier. Then also to try out these different roles in society and to kind of have that family feeling and it's just so much more significant to have those older students able to help with the younger students because kids learn from each other so much more it's so much more impactful than when we are trying to teach them something right like just even one little silly example is we would have these little math fact quizzes where the kids would work on trying to you know see if they knew x amount of math facts and x amount of time and they actually loved it and it was a lot of fun but every now and then they'd get stuck on a list where like they just couldn't get it out in the five minutes that they 
they were trying to, you know, this little record they were trying to beat with themselves and they'd get so frustrated. And I could come over and say, hey, you know, like, don't worry, you're going to get your seven timetables down eventually, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like you did this a thousand years ago and you're the teacher now. So like, what do you even know about this? You don't even know. You don't even understand me. But then to have a second or third grader come over and be like, hey, I was stuck on that too. And I thought I would never pass it. But look where I am now. They're like, oh my God, oh, this is great. Like, you know exactly how I feel. You've been here and you've gotten through it. So I'll get through it too. And it's just so beautiful to see the kids influence each other and to see like the positive peer pressure that comes out of being surrounded by older students that make you want to be your best self or and for the older students to have these younger students who make you have to be your best self because they're looking to you to set an example and they're relying on you in this way that just ends up working out so nicely. Yeah, it has a community feel versus just like peer and teacher. Yeah, you rely a lot as the teacher, you rely a lot on your leaders in your room to help out. It's kind of, you know, this balance, having that perfect balance of those groups really make it run the way that it does. A lot of people are kind of confused when they think of like, how do you run a classroom with say 25 children who are all doing something different yeah, in different places and also their different ages? How do you do that? And what happens when it's an established, well-balanced classroom is that you have two age groups that are pretty independently functioning. They know what to do. They're just kind of getting themselves started. And all you have to do is kind of get this group of five or six children who are new and get them into the fold. So it's actually a very, really beautiful process. And it actually made me think of Rachel. I don't know if you remember this, but last year, my daughter was in toddler and her teacher was pretty actively advocating for her to move up to the three to six class. And I was struggling because she felt like she was ready. Her teacher felt like she was ready. And I talked to Rachel about it. And Rachel was like, you know, don't underestimate that year to be a leader. And I talked to Jacob about it. And he was like, so taken by that in that yes, academics are so important. And we wanted her to be challenged. And we wanted her to be with a peer group that she thrived in. But also the opportunity to be a leader at three years old is so valuable. And she gets to do it again in a few years and just that not missing that opportunity. So thank you, Rachel. She's wise, wise, wise lady. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I just, even if she does smell. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel smells and she's, she doesn't, (laughs) she doesn't for the record. I just, no, but that that happens. That really does happen a, a lot, Megan. It's all the time, and a lot of it it happened at my previous school a lot. And a lot of it was because the wait list for toddler was extremely long. So they're like, "Oh, I see, they turn three then," and I'm like, "No, like, and maybe sometimes there is that outlier." But typically in my previous experiences, moving up, especially like a mid-year move up, that brings on like a lot of changes and a lot of stress for that child. And they're already, they know that classroom. They know what to do. They want to leave by that point. There's going to be people that go both ways, but I always was one to really fight unless that one, unless I was like, oh, they're so ready. Like I did have one who I couldn't do anything. Like she was, she was done. She needed to go. But otherwise, I mean, I usually fight for that because I just, feel like that in that leadership can be super important for them at that yeah. point. Yeah. And it's a delicate ecosystem too. You don't want to lose your older ones. You need your younger ones. Yeah. You need your middle ones. Especially in a to- toddler classroom where you have like five 50 months and then you're like, oh my gosh, we're not balanced <laughs> at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's a, yeah. it takes, it's kind of like the perfect recipe Yeah, in order to make it run well. In the older classrooms too, like even as old as lower elementary, right? First, second, third grade. This is such a huge thing because I think a lot of parents can relate to depending on where your kid's birthday falls or just that kid individually. There are so many parents who have a lot of anxiety about the idea of like, they need to move up. They need to move up to the next thing. They need to move up to the next thing. And it's really important to note that you can have an extremely intelligent child who academics are just come so easily to them. It's just no work at all. But socially and emotionally, they are very much whatever age that they are chronologically or even younger for that matter. And so the beauty of the three-year cycle is it can come in as that first grader who's working with a second or third grader at whatever level that they are at academically, but you are still very much with your peer group and there's no pressure now to all of a sudden be a six-year-old in a third grade classroom because that's where you tested on your math exam. You know, like just, it's a very different way to approach being able to challenge them academically, Mm -hmm. but be respectful of the fact that there's so much more than academic academics going on. And to the same respect, you can have a third grader who's working at more of a second grade or late first grade level who still is able to sit and work with a peer and have someone to do that with them, which isn't necessarily going to happen if you're in an exclusively third grade classroom and no Mm -hmm. one else is on that anymore. Everyone's moved past it. And now you're painfully aware that you're the only one, right? It doesn't just doesn't play out that way when you have that mixed age grouping and you have a little more leniency to be where you truly need to be and still be with your peers for that social emotional part, because that truly is just as important as that academic challenge is. Mm-hmm. Multi-age groupings, they really allow for those younger children to learn from the older children in the environment. And the same, it allows them to experience new challenges, even through observation. The older children really have the chance to be the leaders, the role models, which allows for so much opportunity, just like we've just discussed. A lot of times too, I saw this when I was student teaching, I student taught just like just a fourth grade class. I student taught in a traditional, well, it was a Montessori magnet school, but it was a traditional school. There, I mean, the Montessori was not like we know Montessori. So you saw a lot of competition between the kids because like, oh, I can do this because everybody's doing like the same thing at the same time, right? Like Laura just said, you notice if you are behind because you're all typically doing the same thing all the time. And that typically isn't happening in a Montessori classroom. They're doing different things. They're working at their own pace. They're working at where they, like where the teacher is observing, they need to be what they need to be doing. So that sometimes looks different in that way too. And it's like real life. Like in real world, we don't work with people, everybody the same age. Like, oh, I only work with 29 year olds. Like, no, like it doesn't work like that at all. <laughs> Going to a traditional school, how silly is it looking back now to be like, if if you were friends with someone in the grade above or below you, oh, that was yeah. like a big deal. Like for some, sometimes you couldn't be friends with those people because they were in a different grade. And that's just like, like so silly, but that's built that message is yeah. accidentally sent to you when you're all kind of like sectioned off into these different groups and never mix. And then you get into the real world, like you said, and you have friends who are like decades different age than you. And that's great. That's a wonderful thing. But if that's the first time you're ever being exposed to it, it's like, <laughs> well, trippy. all three of us. I mean, we're none of us are the same age. I'm 29. I don't know what you're talking about. Laura's not 29. God, you're so old. I'm not even 29 <laughs> yet. Yeah. I don't even know what it's like to be 29 I'm just a I'm a baby I'm like I'm 28 plus a couple just like a couple months (laughs) (laughs) just yeah just to be clear I am absolutely joking I haven't seen 29 in a long time and I am 
<laughs> nowhere near close to it. I forget all the time what the age gap between myself and you guys, especially Rachel. Rachel, you and I have a pretty significant age gap, yeah. but I text you asking for help and support every day <laughs> of my life. So but that's obviously it ain't nothing but a number. We're all kind of walking through the same place in life right now. So like, that's how, you know, we all we all relate. And that's why we're the best three Montessori moms in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, though, because once you get out of those academic like benchmarks, the rest of your life doesn't necessarily happen on a specific schedule. Like we all had our first babies at completely different ages of life, right? Like just stuff happens differently. And you just fall in with people who are going through similar experiences or have already been through the experience and are now kind of mentoring you and stuff like that. I mean, my previous co-teacher could be my mom. And she's like one of my closest friends, period. So I just I think that that's a really good point that it is more like real life than the traditional model is yeah you may be thinking though like like me like my kids are not in a school right now you may be home your kids may be home with you or they may go to a traditional preschool traditional school and that's fine right like that's life where we're all walking through different ways of life so maybe your child has a sibling that's younger or older maybe you go to play play dates or different play groups maybe they do extracurricular activities with different age group kids maybe you go to church with different age group kids there's a lot of other ways for your child to experience mixed age groups. So don't just listen to this episode and be like, oh, the three are psych. Like, I don't, that's not what we're saying. We're really, there's so many different ways they're going to experience mixed age groups. I mean, we're in a music class right now and the age was like six months to three years old. So there's babies, there's top, there's like 15 month year olds and there's three year olds. So, I mean, that's a mixed age experience right there. And I just signed up for like some random music class. Yeah, I think it's easier almost as a at home to mimic. I mean, really, the classrooms mimicking home, you know, so to create that community already happens pretty naturally. And so we more kind of have to create it in a classroom setting. But at home, it happens every day. You got a mom, you got a dad, you got siblings, you've got cousins, you've got neighbors who, you know, it just kind of happens. So yeah, it's not something that you as much need to worry about. But unless you're Rachel and decide to have three children so that they can all be in the same... Plano development at the same time. Yeah, so you can have, yeah, there you go. She's just really devout Montessori. She's hardcore. More like my husband. He's he's the one who keeps saying, let's have more babies. I'm like, hey. I think too, I mean, I'm getting to observe it right now when as we go through the homeschool day, my 15 month old, she is in the playroom and we kind of go back and forth between our schoolroom and playroom because they connect. But we go downstairs and we have our snack and she's so fun to watch now because she's watched my toddler like get out the placemat, get out the bowl. And then I take the serving bowls over and he serves himself. And like she very much is trying. She may dump her whole cup of water just so that she can go get a towel and wipe it up. But she like knows what to do. And it's so fun to watch. I always loved watching in the classroom, but to now like see her go get the broom after he's just done it. (laughs) And he's like, there's nothing to clean up now, sissy. But she still wanted to mimic she observed that yeah. and saw that and I love that we're getting to do that right now yeah I think that's a really again the point of this is not to be like you have to be in a Montessori classroom so that you can have a mixed year age group 
situation. We really just wanted to explain why we do that in the philosophy because some people are very curious as to like, why would you have them all in the same place at the same time? And then also to just remind you and encourage you that this can happen in your normal life without having to be in a Montessori classroom. I mean, if we go to the playground, I will watch my oldest daughter did not have siblings to, you know, look up to. She'll watch older kids play on the monkey bars, whatever it is. She'll study them intensely and then get up and go try that thing. If I had shown it to her, she'd be like, cool, mom, whatever. But watching the other kids do it? Heck yes. So like this just is a thing that happens in nature over and over and over again that Maria Montessori was smart enough to build into the academic program in the classroom. But again, please don't feel like if you're not in a Montessori school, your kid can't benefit from this concept. This is just like Megan said, the Montessori school is actually just mimicking real life. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, as I'm like, on my soapbox for the final time, I look back at my screen and see that both of them are like rolling with laughter because again, the shared document is just popping off over here with Megan acting fool. As you get older, there are fewer places to find joy. <laughs> You're like really hesitating. Like, should I say? Should I say there's no joy. I find joy in fairy books, Google Docs, fairy and books. fairy books. <laughs> And Kindle night mode. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. Now it's time for Confessions in the Wild. Who wants to go first? I can go. I went on a walk. So I'm really sick, as you've heard. I'm puking. And um, I'm having some constipation issues, to be honest. And I reached out to my... To my dear friend. Here we go. (laughs) You are. But this was pre-Laura conversation. So my dad and mom came over the weekend and they were like, you need to like be walking and stuff. And I'm like, dude, like I can't even go on a walk. I'll throw up. So my dad's like, let's take the kids on a stroller ride in the afternoon. Come on, Rachel. (laughs) So so I go. And on that walk, I throw up on the side of the road and I'm peeing everywhere because when I throw up, I pee because... I'm pregnant and I've had two babies already. So I'm literally on the side of the road in my neighborhood. And I just am like puking in the grass and the mulch in somebody's yard and I'm peeing. And I was just like, I just need to get home right now. (laughs) What the actual is happening. Okay. Now from my new job as a member of the Mama Stay Fit community, I have to ask if you have or will consider seeing a pelvic floor PT because you shouldn't have to live like that, girl. That's not fun. Yeah, I have. I've been quite a few times. I It's been probably about six months since I've been now, but I have been. I just need to go back. I will write that in my planner and all my spare time you know with all your free time and brain cells right now pelvic floor pt yeah so we are open to pt sponsors okay <laughs> laura i think maybe because rachel really like put it all out there with her bodily fluid confession as we can count on her for every week i will join her in the land <laughs> of like did she just say that out loud and i will confess that i you know i had quite a journey nursing this baby the first several months of it were just really tough, really painful. We had some tongue tie, lip tie issues, all kinds of stuff and just working through it. Left my nipples in quite a state. And one of the people that has been a part of our like team in getting my son to be able to like nurse well without any kind of pain or discomfort is a a chiropractor, which they don't work on babies the way they work on adults. So everybody like chill out, please. But (laughs) this woman is amazing. And she's just like a wealth of 
homeopathic knowledge. And she told me that one of the most like healing things that you can do for skin and body parts is to just get like direct sunlight on them. So she gave me the very clear instruction to go home and sun my nipples. Mm-hmm. And uh, I live in a cul-de-sac <laughs> where it is pretty, pretty packed. Like there's like a, there's like a house in my backyard type of deal. And those people also seem to work from home because they're always there. And if you guys could have just been a fly on the wall, watching me scope around my backyard, trying to find one (laughs) single place that I could sun my nipples without having the police called on me, (laughs) without having a headline the next day that says former Montessori teacher arrested for indecent (laughs) exposure sunning her nipples from intense damage yeah it was just it was a process i did find a place and an angle that i think is safe i mean i haven't heard from any authorities yet uh so hopefully we're good i mean that sounds lovely (laughs) in theory it does sound lovely but when you are like a busy I might go do that after this right now. Yeah. Okay. This confession has just turned into an advertisement for you all to just stop what you're doing, take your tops off, men and women alike, (laughs) get out there and just sun them nips because it is healing. It is healing. And you know what? I do feel better. It was actually very nice. So she wasn't wrong. And this isn't coming from us. This is coming from a professional. Yeah. She's a professional. She knows what she's talking about. (laughs) Chiropractor? Yeah. A professional. They're known for their nipple work, Megan. They're known for their work with nipples. Well, she's a chiropractor and mom of two. So she probably was speaking from her other experience in life. But yeah, because I had tried everything, man. I had the coconut oil. I had the balms. I had the cold pads. I had silverettes. If you guys don't know about silverettes, get yourself some silverettes. Those are amazing. But you can only do all of those things for so long. And they all sort of are like putting a Band-Aid on the damage, whereas the sunlight is supposed to be like actually, truly healing healing and repairing the damage. So yeah, so that's my confession. I was stunning my nipples. Oh, silverettes also I use (laughs) as a little dish for um, polishing. Polishing? (laughs) I knew you were going to say polishing. I didn't want to cut you off, but I knew exactly where you were going with That's actually not a bad idea. I know they're so cute and little. So nobody has to know where they came from or what they were used on. (laughs) They're sterile. They're silver. (laughs) Okay. So mine is surprisingly not something embarrassing that I did, but just like an awkward situation that I was in that I didn't know how to get myself out of. I was going to the salon to get my eyebrows waxed and I'm laying on the table, very vulnerable to just be laying there on the table waiting to have hair removed from your face or anywhere else. And this woman, very nice, gets a phone call and it's like a FaceTime with her grandchild who she wants to then show me. And so I'm laying there and she has <laughs> she has the phone over me and so I can't move and she's got it over me. I'm in FaceTime jail and I'm just like, hey, with a kid you don't know. <laughs> He's looking at me like, is there wax? He doesn't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to him. We don't know each other. (laughs) 
and she's just holding it over me. And of course, like his mom's on the other line, just like holding it over him. And we just have to talk to each other. And it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's awesome. very awkward. Hey, you having a good day? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like in your cereal um anyway so yeah it was just like i i left and i was like what was that and just like as a psa don't do that to people <laughs> just if you're out there don't. waxing people's bodies and you get a facetime <laughs> call you happen to find yourself in this situation which i don't know why you would <laughs> don't do it don't do it so yeah oh my god i love it is that like the 2023 version of I mean, we're all actually a little too young for this, but like back in the day when you went on a vacation, you had to like take pictures with an actual camera and you would Mm -hmm. like turn that into some kind of slideshow or like movie that then everybody had to come sit down and watch. You would get like your packet of photos. You would get like actual film photos and now like people are subjected. You know, and like you'd go to like whatever store and they'd give you the prints and then you'd sit down and you'd like flip through them to show everybody. Yeah. 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 And it was way too many pictures mm-hmm. of a bunch of stuff that's not interesting to anybody outside yeah. of you, but yeah, they are now subjected mm-hmm. to it. I guess that's where that's like yeah. basically the Yeah. The millennial. That's putting money in this that. poor one year old in a very uncomfortable position. <laughs> <laughs> Some lady that All his right. mom or his grandma is waxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like just why would she think that he wanted to talk to you? Or he was very himself? cute. Megan was the chosen one. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. To Max. Okay. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. I did it. Lightning round. Boom.